0: All right, we come to session two, and that's going to be the little handout form, the little yellow page that I've given you there, Reforming a Local Church. We spoke of this in our last class, and and I really want to kind of use this as a way of summarizing the intent of this class and and what we're seeking to accomplish. Habakkuk chapter 3. And verse 2 says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Now, I want to make sure that we use the right terminology. Number one, the world does not need reformation. The world doesn't need revival. You see, reformation and revival are terms that are used in reference to true believers. It is not used in reference to an unbelieving world. You, you cannot simply revive a person who is dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. What the world needs is a visitation by the Holy Spirit whereby that person is transformed and they become a new creation in Christ Jesus. That is the difference. So when we talk about, for example, we talk about revival and we say that the church could use revival. I'm going to have to say that I've changed my perspective on this and I'm going to lean in the direction that John MacArthur goes now, and that he has stated, somebody asked him, well, are you praying for revival here at Grace Community Church? He said, no, I'm not praying for revival. He says, our people are growing, I'm growing, our pastors are growing. We as a church are growing and becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ. A church that is in need of a revival is not growing. A church that is in need of a revival is a church that normally is dead and has lost its first love. Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, Jesus speaks about the churches or speaks to the churches of Asia Minor. And one of them, the church at Ephesus, he says, you have lost your first love. However, for us to have a reformation, there was a saying... John McC- or, uh, Steve Lawson is great at using this one. Post. Tenebras. Lux. This is Latin. Does anybody know what it means? Uh, uh, the light comes from the, after the darkness. Or after, dar- after, after darkness, the light. That essentially is what Reformation is. Reformation is understanding where you were where you need to be and what it's going to take to be able to get you there I really like how Steve Lawson put the word Reformation when he went back in Oh, one of his lectures he talked about the apostles formed the church the Catholic church deformed the church and we are to reform what the apostles are doing. We are not, so it's, it's all about the church. The focus is the church. We are reforming what was the original intent. Yes. What was the purpose of the reformers? Was they were trying to go back. They were trying to figure out how to get over and through all of the problems that had been created uh, from the Catholic Church with the Pope era. Right, and, and, and you, you have to remember that that basically what had happened in, in the early New Testament church, so here's, here's the first century, just a snapshot, if you will, of, of church history. So this is the first century here. In the first century, they are as close to the truth of Scripture as any church is ever going to be. They have been given the command directly by the Lord Jesus Christ to go into all the world, preach the gospel, disciple the nations, teach them everything that I have commanded you. By the end of the first century, they are already dealing with heresy in the church. And every century after that has been the same. Now, we can look back, and I believe that, that in, in, in church history, we find that God has always had a remnant for himself. They may have been called by different names. Different groups of people, and some of them maybe we might not even have be willing to have in our pulpit today, but for the most part, they actually held to the fundamental truths of scripture. Now, what happened over time? It's almost like an issue, or it's, it's almost like the little kids' game Chinese whispers. If I start a whisper up here and I pass and tell everybody to pass it around, by the time it gets over here, it's not going to have any representation of what the actual truth was that I stated at the beginning. That's what has happened to the church. Again, we come back to the issue, and it doesn't matter what the denomination is, it doesn't matter what the name is that's over the church, whether it's Catholic or Baptist or Presbyterian or Methodist or Lutheran, it doesn't matter about any of that. What matters is, are, is how close are they to the truth of Scripture? And unfortunately, there have been groups of people in those churches down through the centuries and down through the last two millennium who have held to the truth. For example, Martin Luther, until the day he died, was an ordained Roman Catholic priest. Martin Luther didn't actually start the Lutheran Church. John Knox started the Presbyterian Church. Samuel and Charles Wesley... Start well, they didn't actually start the Methodist church, they were actually known as Methodists for the type of methods that they used to try to attract people to the gospel. They were there wasn't actually a Methodist church, they were actually Anglican again until the day they died. So, the real issue is I mean, for example, there are some and some of you may have it in your libraries, men like John Stott or J.I. Packer, or others who, who, who are men who are not necessarily of our particular denomination, but when it comes to the fundamental truths of Scripture, they are on the same page as us. And that to me is vital, because we have to focus, we have to major on the majors, minor on the minors. There's only so much time. I remember my British grandfather, well, my step-grandfather, Charles, I remember him talking with me one time, we were sitting in his house, And I was asking him about the ministry that he did because he preached for a number of years. He was a circuit rider, used to ride his bike even into his late 70s, early 80s, used to ride to the local villages there in England just to be able to minister the Word of God. And I can remember asking him in regards to what to preach because him and I differed as my grandmother and I did on certain points of of doctrine, namely like, women pastors or uh tongues and things like that and my grandmother she could argue the hind leg off a donkey and so instead of arguing and my parents used to tell me all the time don't argue with your grandma that's the last thing they said on the way out the door don't argue with your grandma and so my grandfather i asked him one time about ministry and this is what he said you have 168 hours in a week He said, and you might, if you're fortunate, you might have 45 minutes to an hour to impart something to the people that are listening to you that is going to change their life for the next 168 hours. Don't waste it. And I think that's very valuable because too often we can get caught up in the mundane things of life, we can get so worked up about how we parse a particular verb or, or how, we, how we look at scriptures in a particular manner or, or whether, it's, uh, whether it's some of the ordinances or the, the eschatology or, or the way that we see certain things. Uh, for example, there are some who hold a different position on the giftings of the Spirit. Uh, I'm not going to question whether that person is a believer or not in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can learn from others who have come before us who may believe a little bit differently than us. But if the sound fundamental truth of Scripture are not there in their ministry, they're not worth listening to. For example, I'm not going to agree to disagree with somebody like Benny Hinn or Joyce Myers or Paula White. Or others who who, who, are, who are there for one purpose, and that is to be able to make money in their pocket. They are not there for the purpose of the edification and exhortation of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are wrong on a number of different areas anyway, including most of those people that I mentioned, for example, do not even believe that there is a trinity. That's heresy. That heresy was actually addressed and nailed to the floor back in the third century. And yet it's still going on today. People not believing that there is a Trinity or believing that God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit are simply the same manifestation of the same God, the same person. They are three distinct persons in the Godhead. So, What I wanted to share with you in just the next few minutes, let me go back to my notes here. We are called to reformation. I want to see reforming within our church, and I don't mean that we become a capital R reformed church. That's not not the purpose of this teaching. It's not the purpose of of presenting this information from Steve Lawson or or Chapel Library or, or any of those things. And here's something else. We're we're never going to be Grace Community Church, John MacArthur. We're never going to be fill in the blank of whatever church maybe it is that you come from. We are Yellowstone Baptist Church. This is where God has placed us for this time. And we are here to study together to find out how we can become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And if all I'm doing is filling your head with facts and numbers and dates, etc., 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 and it's not changing you to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ, not only am I wasting my time, but you're wasting yours. So this is why reformation is so important. So when we talk about reforming a church, we're not talking about 1517, and I don't want to go upstairs and find that some of you have not nailed 95 theses to the front door of the church. We're not starting over again. But we can learn from those things. And that's one of the reasons why I've handed out the second form to you. And that is the uh, blue form that you have is a copy of the resolutions from Jonathan Edwards. Now, if there's one thing that I could stress to you in this, it would be this. Jonathan Edwards had a great desire for Christ to be glorified and that his focus would always be on eternity. If you could summarize his 70 points of re- resolution, that's what they would be. Here we are in the first week. Some of you may have written down resolutions. My parents used to make us write down resolutions on the first New Year. That was the first thing we had to do. We couldn't go out and play. We had to sit down. And the order we got, the more they expected out of us. And you know what? Most of them were probably broken by the end of the first day, if not the first week. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about a resolution that simply, hopefully, maybe, possibly might make you a little bit better person. The point is not to make you a better person. It's to point you to a better person, and that's Jesus Christ. That's what we see in the book of Hebrews where we're dealing with on, in the men's class on Thursday night. And that is seeing a better than Moses, seeing a better than Melchizedek, seeing a better than Abraham, seeing a better than the Levitical priesthood, seeing one who was better than the offerings and the blood of bulls and goats. We find the one who came, gave his life once for all and then sat down. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, he he actually did. I think he I think it took him 2 months to be able to put this together. Or actually it was over the course of 2 years, I three think. Years, three years. Was it 3 years? 2 to 3 years but he actually at like 22 or 24, I can't remember. Yeah. Actually, right. And anyway, if you listen to Dr. Steve Lawson's uh note on Jonathan Edwards, you'll get the you'll get the information there, but it's interesting that that this one it was written He started off his life the way he means means to end. And and, and sometimes we get caught up, and and I've been guilty of this as well, we have the what if syndrome. Well, what if I had done this? What if I had done that? What if I had been saved in an earlier age? What if I, what if I, what if I? You know what? The reality is you weren't, and all you're doing is actually questioning the sovereignty and the providence of God that he has you right where you're supposed to be right now. Gabe? Uh, can we go back to the yellow paper real quick? Yeah, I I and I'm not done with that one. <clears throat> okay, well maybe i ahead. But number four, the practical suggestions is from Pamphlet. Yes. Pamphlet. I guess yeah. Reforming well that's because you're so far back. I don't think we got that one. You haven't you haven't gotten a copy of, you haven't gotten a copy of this one yet. Oh okay. Yeah, that one's coming. Okay, but I am going to give you some of the suggestions and some of the things that he talks about here in the back. Okay, So let's go ahead and proceed real quick. Number one, the need of reformation today. There has to be, firstly, to have reformation within the church, there has to be something called self-examination. Self-examination doesn't start with, well, I wish so-and-so was here to hear that message. That sure was a good one. They could have used it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, and sometimes, you know what? Preachers can get guilty of that as well. Well, boy, if there would have been a hundred here to listen to that instead of 50, you know what? The people that were supposed to be there were here. And my responsibility isn't To make sure that there are more people, my responsibility is to simply give the word to those who are here to see them grow and to see them change. But self-examination requires you to search inwardly as David did in Psalm 51. You can write that verse down. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And the question you have to ask yourself and I have to ask myself is, is what I'm doing hindering the work of Christ or is it a benefit to the work of Christ? Because one, I can either be a hindrance or two, I can be a benefit. And if you have a question about which one is which in regards to something that you're doing in your life, go to somebody, start with somebody in your family. Start with your spouse. And then go to another brother or sister and say, hey, is what I'm doing or what I'm saying or how I'm acting or how I'm responding, does this point you to Jesus Christ or does it detract you from the person of Jesus Christ? I'm going to be honest, that's hard. That's hard to do because you know what it's going to to do? It's going to require us to reform it's going to require us to examine the things that we do, the things that we like, the things that we listen to, the things that we watch, the things that we say, the things that whatever it may be, fill in the blank, to determine whether it actually is like Jesus Christ or not. You see, Paul, and we'll deal with this, Lord willing, we're, we're, we're talking about some things that we can, that we can cover in, in some of the services, and, and I think it might be beneficial. So, there are several people who asked me recently, what does it actually mean to be a Baptist? Well, I believe to be Baptist, me personally, personal conviction, is to be Baptist, is to be Baptistic, is to be biblical. And, and and I believe for us to be biblical, we must follow the word of God. That doesn't mean that somebody who goes to an E-Free Church, or a Methodist Church, or Presbyterian, or a Baptist Church that doesn't look like ours, or our Grace Community Church, or whatever. It doesn't mean that they're wrong. It just means that this is the standard of doctrine that we hold to, and I believe is Baptistic in foundational truths but for us to be able to understand what it means to be a Baptist I think is going to be valuable for you and I to be able to learn for some of us to be able to go back over again in our own heart and mind to determine what do we actually believe why are we actually here on a Sunday so is what I'm doing a hindrance or is it a benefit Am I hurting the cause of Christ or am I building up the body of Christ? Now, if you remember, one, or one, of the, one of the tenets, if you will, of Baptist is there's actually an acrostic that you can use. And each one of the letters for Baptist actually stands for something. And the letter I stands for individual soul liberty. I believe individual soul liberty is taught in the scriptures. But there are certain things that I believe that I can do that I'm not going to do in front of another brother or sister because it could bring offense to them and thereby drive a wedge, not just between me and them, but between themselves and the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, this isn't about becoming legalistic or anything like that, but it's it's about living our lives in such a way that the only thing that we're doing like Jonathan Edwards is we're pointing to eternity. I can enjoy a lot of things in the world. I can go watch a movie. I can go do whatever. But if by doing those things, I deflect from Jesus Christ, then I need to be willing to put that aside. Because if I'm not willing to put it aside for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what I've done? I've harmed you. I've harmed the church. I've harmed the testimony that I have, the testimony of the church, and the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. If my thing that I'm enjoying is more important to me than whether Jesus Christ is first and foremost, then again, I need to be reformed within my life. I need to get back to first principles. Understanding the marks of a true church. And again, for the sake of time, we're not going to go over all of this today. But what I want to point out is three things. Number one, a doctrinal foundation. There are a lot of churches that have no doctrine. If you were to ask them what they believe, they have no clue. You might ask them, well, what do you believe? Well, I believe what my church believes. What does your church believe? Well, they believe what my pastor believes. Well, what does your pastor believe? Funny you should ask. He believes just like me. And nobody has a clue what they believe. And before long, you end up with another denomination. You end up with another church. Because what's happening is instead of doctrine driving the church or the establishment of a church, all it's built on now is pet peeves or foibles or traditions or whatever it may be. Spiritual influence. Does the influence that you and I have on one another... In our families, on one another, in our workplace, and in our church, does it reflect a reformation? You see, again, we have we have talked about the the difference of, of things, not just the things that we believe, but how we practice those things. And yet today, my dad and I are reading a book, and we're gonna we're gonna be looking at this book to be used uh, here in one of our classes before too, too long. It's a book by Wayne Mack called Life in the Father's House. Excellent book. And back in the 80s and 90s, George Barna did Reese, I believe it was George Barna or Gallup Poll, I can't remember which. And they did a survey, and at that time, they estimated that 53,000 people every week leave the church, never to return. 53. I guarantee you that every one of us here knows somebody or multiple somebodies who used to be regularly in attendance, faithful in service at a local church, and now haven't darkened the doors of a church in years. Maybe even within our own families. I'm going to have to reset this so I don't have to keep entering my code. So spiritual influence. What kind of influence do you have and then thirdly, the standard of righteousness. This is the mark of a true church. The standard of righteousness must be the law of Christ, not the law of whatever legalism or or. or or, you know, a list of rules. I've shared this with some of you, or some of you have heard this before, and that is, we went to one church and visited, and, and we're interested in membership, and we asked them what it would take, and what we had to believe, and what we had to do, and the first thing they did was they handed us, it was about that thick, a rule book, of all the things we could and couldn't do. Not one scripture in the whole book. It was simply a list of do, 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 don't, 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 and you'll be like one of us. Listen. And I don't mean this nasty in any way, but I am not the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a priest just like I am before God. And the Holy Spirit can reveal to you what you need to change or what needs to be changed in your life and what needs to be changed in mine. You're never going to hear me preach a message on whether you should have a TV in your house or not. If you've got one, that's between you and God. Now, I can tell you the principle of God's Word is that you should know not to set an evil thing before your eyes, so you should know where the off switch is. There's a big difference between reminding you and encouraging to use to use the off switch versus telling you you can't have a TV. And some of you may have come from that kind of a background. That's not the purpose of gathering together. It's not the purpose of, of trying to change your life and nickel and diamond you so that, so that everything that you do, we're going find to some, find some way to be able to find fault with you. That's not the purpose of the church. Excommunication is not a biblical term. When we talk about, we talked a little bit about this on Thursday, but the purpose of, of, of discipline within the church is to be able to bring restoration to the body of Christ, to be able to see complete reform. And, you know, the thing, some of the things that have taken place over, the last, over this last year here at Yellowstone, I believe that they were there and they were allowed by God to be able to bring some reformation to our, need, to our, to our midst, things that we maybe we needed to change in. That doesn't mean that everybody was wrong. It doesn't mean that we're 100% right. We'll never know those things until we get to heaven. But we do have the responsibility of being truthful to God's word. And as long as we understand and study his word, what he calls us to do, we must do. And at the end of the day, we're not responsible for any other church. We're responsible for us. Amen? Amen. So let's go to the next point. The kind of person God uses. Number one, somebody who is dead serious about God's work and God's word. We have, we have talked about the importance of reading the scripture and of being accountable. My dad and I were talking about this this last week in regards to accountability. Some people are not comfortable going and talking to another brother or sister in Christ. And I want to clarify the reason why I recommend it to you that you actually find somebody to be accountable to. And the reason is simply this. I have been in ministry long enough to know. Well, I'm going to give you an example. They don't have to listen if they don't want to, but my mom and dad have had devotions consistently as long as I can remember. They sit down together, they read, they have scripture, they have a time of prayer. And that's been consistent for years. I can't remember when they didn't do that. I'm not asking my mom and dad to be accountable or find somebody else to be accountable to if they're being accountable to one another because that's your closest neighbor. That's the person that knows you the best. However... The reason why we have difficulties in our marriages, the reason why we have difficulties in work situations, the reason why we have difficulties with our kids or grandkids or whatever it may be is because a lot of us have never learned what it means to truly be accountable to somebody else, whether it's our wife or our husband or whether it's our kids or grandkids or whatever. I've shared this with you before. In fact, I mentioned in the last class that we had a month ago, and it's this. If you want to know if you're becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ, go and ask your spouse first. Say, am I more like the Lord Jesus Christ today than I was a year ago? And then it's going to come up with two answers for you. E- either, either you're going to have to fall on your face and humble yourself before God and ask Him for forgiveness and then ask forgiveness from those that you have offended, or you're going to have to make a run for the hills. Because it's painful, and reform is Painful. But to be serious about God and His Word means that we pick up His Word and we actually read it. If, if if you never and again one of the things that I pointed out last last month and I gave you I gave everybody a, a copy of the little handout the little Bible reading thing I've told you where to go Blue Letter Bible or or U Version or whatever it may be to be able to go through the Word of God you need to know what God's Word says. Period. And it's not just to be able to keep me accountable. It's so that you in your own life is, are accountable. It's, it's easy to find fault with everybody else and forget that we've got three pointing back at us. Okay. Some must be bent on succeeding at God's word who are men of faith, confidence in the Savior, and those who labor. Are you bent on these things in your life? Very simple. Are these the things that drive you? You see, this is basically a summation of what we have here in this little booklet. And what he shares, (coughs) what Ernest Reising shares in this little booklet, is simply a reflection of the things that we've already talked about week after week on a Sunday. Sunday night, doctrinal class. Men's class, the ladies' class, disciplines of a godly woman, Hebrews learning that there is a better who has come and following after him. That's all this is. But for us to be able to have a bent, we need to be like the person who is asked. And again, I've shared this illustration, and that is this. My wife wants to know she's one and only, she wants to know that she is preeminent. She doesn't want to be one amongst many. She doesn't want to be prominent. And the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't want to be prominent in your life. He wants to be preeminent. He wants to be first and only. That means there are going to be some things if we're going to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to see revival? You want to see reformation? Be willing to get rid of the things, the besetting sins that hold us back and you watch the Lord do a work in our midst. A work that maybe some of us have never ever seen in our entire life. Or maybe our entire ministry. Laying the foundation. Number one, patience is required. This one's hard because I want all of you guys to change yesterday. And you know what, there are some of you who are probably wishing that I would change yesterday or the day before or last week. And patience is required because not all of us are going to grow at the same level, at the same time, in the same way. But if you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will grow. There's no doubt about it. 1 John makes that very clear. If you're not growing, you're dead. You're not a believer. Laying the foundation means that it's going to cost something. It may cost friendships, or what you thought were friendships. It may even cost family. It may cost some of the things that you hold dear. And the question is, are we willing to follow the words of the Lord Jesus Christ? When he says, if you're not willing to give up this, this, and this, you're not worthy of being my disciple. Are you worthy of being his disciple? He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's what we're commanded to do, right? Like Jonathan Edwards th- third, we must be fixated on eternity. This life is short. For those of us who are older, you realize the older we get, the quicker life seems to go. And one day we all close our eyes in death and we all stand before God. And then real life begins. That's what we have to be looking forward to, not the joys and the pleasures of this world. Because this is soon going to pass away. Laying the foundation involves sometimes the agony of a broken heart. And as we're going to look and see tomorrow morning, Lord willing, I think the first thing if we're going to see reformation that we have to be willing to have a broken heart over is our own sin. Being willing to say, Lord, help me to see my sin as you see it. I'm not trying to justify my sin with somebody else in the house or somebody else in my life or in work or whatever or in the church. And part of that broken heart is once we come to a point where we can read Psalm 51 and we can place our name in there as though we have read it, then it's going to require some demolition work. Uh, I used to have years ago, I used to have a, a little... Uh, several little toys like some of you guys may have, or even some of you ladies, I don't want to exclude you if you like big big uh, trucks and things like that. But I had a crane. It was a yellow crane, and it had a couple of attachments you could put on it. One of them was a wrecking ball. And you could crank that thing over, and it'd swing one way, and you'd crank it back over this way, and it'd swing this way, and we'd you know, build Lego buildings or whatever, and we try to knock them down. Rarely ever worked. But, you know, sometimes I think we need to take the word of God and we need to take this wrecking ball to our life and destroy, completely demolish some of the strongholds that we have in our life if we're going to see reformation. Laying the foundation means two more things. Number one, faithful ministers. I told you in the very first class that it wasn't going to be easy. I told you some of the things that we're going to talk about may not make you happy when you leave here on a Saturday. But my concern is not about whether you're happy or not. My concern is about whether you are glad that God loves you despite who you are It still loves you and still has made a way for you to become more like Jesus Christ. You see, that's the goal of every true minister of the gospel. But to go along with that, it's going to require some praying saints. And that's where you come in. You see, a minister, a true minister, is one who is a servant, a steward. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, moreover it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And the question is, are you faithful? Because if you and I are going to be faithful, one of the things we have to do is we have to be willing to spend time praying. You want to know who to pray for? Start right here. Because every one of you need prayer. And the reason I know that is because I need prayer. And if we're not willing to spend time praying for one another, how can we spend time praying for the church at large? We can't be willing to stand up on a Sunday morning and say that we're going to pray for our missions moment for four countries if we're not even willing to spend time praying for where we're at right here in our own Jerusalem. Again, for the sake of time, and I want to wrap things up, I I want to give you a few points here, some practical suggestions from this book. And some of these are things that are going to be covered in the books that you've got, but things like, for example, don't try any reformation until you have earned some spiritual credibility with the church. And I think this really applies to each and every one of us. Don't Don't try to reform everybody else if you're not willing to be reformed in your life or my life. How should these changes be implemented? What is the right and biblical thing to do? The principle of church membership, the principle of of restraint. How, How do we implement that in the church? Not getting hung up on secondary matters. Not using theological language that is not found in the Bible. Even things for teachers or ministers, not used in the pulpit to scold people, exercising common sense, and depending on the only weapons that we have, prayer, preaching, and teaching. And here's how he concludes. The proper motives for Reformation are love to God and concern for His glory, love for man and concern for His good. Love for God's holy law is the only perfect objective standard of righteousness. Love for Christ and his church and love and compassion for sinners. That's what it takes to have reformation. And the question is whether, not whether anybody else is willing to do it. The question is can God use you or are you in the way? God can use you one way or the other he can move you out of the way or he can use you in the way how do you want to be used how do I want to be used I appreciate your attendance this morning and I know we've covered a lot of ground there's a lot of material here there's a lot more we could have covered but I really want you to be able to take the material that is that we've been giving you and I want you to spend the time with God Be able to determine what you need to do. I believe I've given you everything today that will help make you a better leader, a better servant, a better father, a better mother, a better church member, a better worker in your job. But to be able to do those things takes reformation. What is in your life that needs to be removed? What is in my life? Amen. Any questions? Any comments? No? Well, we're going to have a word of prayer, but before we do, somebody has an envelope.